Welcome to Life Lessons with Dr. Steve Shell. For 20 years, Dr. Steve's 30-minute radio program, Life Lessons, was heard throughout the United States. Committed to comprehensively teaching through entire books of the Bible, Pastor Steve pulls out the deep, eternal truths in each section of Scripture without skipping over the challenging passages. He applies what is learned clearly and practically so that we're inspired not to just be hearers of the Word, but doers also. All right, let's turn to John chapter 20. I'm going to read to you uh, the the, uh, Sunday morning. I'll go from verse 1 to verse 10. What I've done today is, um, if you look at the different Gospels, they tell different portions of this whole scenario. I, am, I have spent some, some real time. I've done it before when we went through Luke, but I, I just did it afresh. And that is to say, how do these fit together? What was the scene? Can we can reconstruct that Sunday morning? What happened there? And I'm going to take you as far as Peter and John going to the open tomb. Um, but I'll, I want to tell, tell that today and, and have us see it and understand it. So, Lord, we come to the empty tomb. And we ask you to give eyes to see and to behold and understand with our hearts the promise and the miracle. We ask for faith to fill us, fresh faith, Lord, that we might burn with confidence and we might long to tell the world that you have risen. Come and fill us with that. I pray for grace today, Lord, that I might speak your word so we can hear your word and see you. Lord, our hearts, we love you. We want you to build us up. We want you to establish us as your people. Uh, you, you promised us the gates of hell will not prevail against us. And we believe that today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, here we go. John 20, verse 1. Now, on the first day of the week. What, what day is that? That's Sunday morning, yeah. Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb while it was still dark. And saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she has waited till, she's going out the very first possible thing. I suppose the stars are beginning to dim. You know, if the Sabbath has got something, you you get three stars, the Sabbath starts. And I suppose, I don't know if she's out counting uh, how she did it, but as soon as she can, we're, we're just in that first dim light of morning, out she goes. But she doesn't go alone. I want you to see that. While it was still dark, she saw the stone already taken away from the tomb. So she ran and came to Simon Peter and to the other disciple whom Jesus loved. Who was that? John. Remember John because of just his his heart. He never mentions himself. He never mentions his mother. He never mentions his brother. Uh, Everybody, he just always uses other phrases rather than put their names into the gospel. It's, It's just a humility on his part. Whom Jesus loved said to them, they have taken away the Lord out of the tomb, and we, say we. we. Oh, who's we? Uh, she's not alone. We do not know where they've laid him. So Peter and the other disciple went forth, and they were going to the tomb. The two, two were running together, and the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter and came to the tomb first. And stooping and looking in, He saw the linen wrappings lying there, but he did not go in. So John gets there first. He he leans forward, peers in, but doesn't go in. And all he can see in the dimness of it all is just the linen wrappings. And I'll tell you what he saw in a minute. So Simon Peter also came and following him and entered the tomb. 
And he saw the linen wrappings lying there. So he walks in and looks at it. And the face cloth, which had been on his head, uh, that thing was wrapped around the head, as far as I can tell, because that's what they, apparently what they did with um, Lazarus. The face cloth, which would have been on his head, not lying with the linen wrappings, but rolled up or folded in a place by itself and set apart. So the other disciple who had first come to the tomb then also entered. John goes in. And he saw and believed. Okay, so John says, I believed. But then he'll qualify this. Look what he says in verse 9. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. Let's read verse 9 out loud. For as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise again from the dead. That's the key. All right, let's have a look at the empty tomb. The disciples' response to the empty tomb proves how little they understood about the most essential truths that Jesus had taught them. What he said was so different from what they had been taught as children, his words only confused and frightened them. He repeatedly told them that he must suffer, die, be buried, and rise again on the third day. Say that list with me, would you? Suffer, die, be buried, and rise again on the third day. That is, all, that is said over and over. Paul will say it. Jesus will say it. It will be repeated. Those items. Yet not one of his disciples responded with even the slightest trace of expectation. They simply didn't believe he would physically rise from the dead until he stood in front of them and they were able to touch him. After he was buried, their response was to grieve over him and still love him, but certainly not rejoice. Up until his death, they had thought he was the Messiah. But after he was crucified, they changed that to that opinion and assumed he was only a great prophet who had been martyred. Where do I get that? I get that right out of the Emmaus Road. Jesus goes walking with two of these disciples. One of them apparently is, uh, is, is the husband, Cleopas. Uh, his, 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 um, his wife is uh, Mary, mother of James and uh, Joseph. James the less, that's one of the disciples. So the two of, he and somebody else are walking out to Emmaus. It's about seven miles to the northwest of Jerusalem. And it's a priestly town. They're walking out there. Jesus shows up and says, so what's going on? Uh, you know, and they said, are you the only one in Israel that doesn't know? You know, where have you been? Did you land from Mars? And they wouldn't have not have said that. Um, um, but uh, then they began to explain. They said, we, 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 this Jesus of Nazareth, he, he, was, he was wonderful. And we thought he was the Messiah. But he's a great prophet. Notice how Jesus just went down in the understanding. They thought, well, I guess he's not that. Not one of the 11 was waiting outside the tomb on Sunday morning. And they thought that those who said they saw him were crazy. When people came back, they said, you're delirious. They, they, they absolutely wouldn't believe. That empty tomb exposed not a lack of love, nor a loss of respect. I mean, they still thought the, everything of him. They thought he was the most wonderful person. They loved him dearly. But a lack of understanding. They didn't know why the resurrection was necessary. 
When John later commented on his own condition at the time, he said his problem was that he didn't understand the scripture that taught that Jesus must, would you say must? Must, must rise from the dead. Do you and I. Today, let's join those disciples as they encounter the empty tomb. Let's first try to see it through their eyes, and then let's examine the scripture for ourselves so that we will understand what Jesus had to suffer, that he had to suffer and die, why he did, be buried, and rise again on the third day. When you and I consider that empty tomb, we don't want to hear him say this to us. Why don't you read it with me? Oh, foolish ones. And slow in heart to believe upon all which the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Messiah suffer these things to enter into his glory? Before any of the disciples arrived at the tomb, while the temple police were still posted as a guard in front of the huge sealed stone door. Notice I didn't say Roman police. It was temple police that were there. A severe earthquake occurred. It was caused by an angel who rolled a stone aside and then sat on it. His clothing was pure white, and he radiated with a brilliant light. When the guards saw him, they trembled with fear and fainted. So first thing that happens is people are sleeping. It's, still the, it's just the first beginning of a morning, and suddenly there's this big earthquake that shakes through the city. At the first trace of morning light, a group of women, which included Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph, Salome, and Joanna. Uh, Salome is, is John's mother. Uh, Joanna is the wife of Cusa, Herod's financial steward. Do you remember that? I think that, 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 that it was Cusa, her, her husband, the fun, Herod's financial officer, that came to Jesus and said, my son is dying. Would you come and pray for him? When Jesus was in Cana, do you remember that? And Jesus' answer was no. You people, you always want miracles. Remember that? And so the father says, yes. And then he says, go, your son lives. And Cusa had, I think it was Cusa, had to walk back down. And his, his servant met him on the way and said, your son lives. Remember this? And he said, at what time? He said, one o'clock yesterday afternoon. And he knew exactly the time that the Lord had spoken to him. I think this is Joanna's mother. I mean, Joanna is the, the child's mother. She never forgot him. She became a sponsor for him. She financially supported him. And she loves him. She's there at the, at the cross, literally. So that's, that's who she is. Set out for the tomb with perfume and sweet-smelling spices. They had been prevented from mourning openly for Jesus on Friday afternoon. But two of them, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Joseph, had followed Joseph of Arimathea and Nicodemus when they took down Jesus' body and buried it. And while the two men worked those women sat opposite the grave and watched. So they, those two sat and watched the men actually wrap the body and put it in the tomb. Either because they felt that the men had not prepared the body properly or because they longed to honor Jesus themselves by personally participating in his burial. They left the area determined to prepare spices and perfumes so they could return to when the Sabbath ended. They rested during the Sabbath, which lasted from Friday evening from the, to the first light of Sunday morning. Now, as the women walked toward the tomb on Sunday morning, they were unaware that the high priest and some of the leaders of the Pharisees had placed guards there and had sealed the tomb, that great stone that covered the opening. They were determined to prevent anyone from stealing the body. Do you recall this? It's an odd situation. 
the only people that seem to have heard Jesus say, I'm going to rise again from the dead, are the high priests and some of the Pharisees. They heard him. So they, they go to Pilate and say, that deceiver said, I will rise again in three days. And we don't want those disciples coming and stealing the body and claiming a resurrection. Little did they know that the disciples are just absolutely dull as they could be. They got no, what? I mean, they don't believe it when they see it. They're not, they're not in the game. But they said, they said would you set a, a guard? And, and Pilate's response was not to send Roman soldiers. Now, I know this ruins the Easter plays, but... We've all got, in our wardrobes, Roman outfits. So we will have Roman guards if we have a play. Um, (laughs) But Pilate's response to them was, you have a guard, use it if you want to. And they do. They have temple police, the Levitical police. They said, you send your own. I'm not spending money to guard that tomb. Uh, He hasn't been happy about the whole thing all the way along. It was, very, it was still very dark when the women arrived at the gardens surrounding the tomb. Once they were close enough to see the doorway, Mary Magdalene looked up and realized that the stone had already been removed. She immediately assumed that the high priest, she said, they have removed it. You know who she's thinking of, had removed the body. Apparently, either the soldiers had already gone to report the situation to the religious leaders. Matthew actually tells us that. Or they were still lying motionless on the ground. <laughs> Because uh, slain in the spirit, you know, because there is no mention that they hindered the women in any way. And without waiting to investigate, Mary turned and ran back to the city to tell Peter and John that the body had been stolen. When the women who stayed behind walked up to the opening and went inside, then they did. So, so Mary, they are all walking up in this in this dim garden. I'm going to show it to you in a minute. They walk up in this thing. She sees the stone is gone. She goes. Oh my goodness, they've stolen it. And I'm going back and tell Peter and John. And so off she goes. The, the other women stay there. And they then kind of edge their way up and look in and see what's in there. At first, they couldn't locate the body. But after a few moments of confusion, two angels dressed in white robes radiating with light appeared. One was sitting to their right. Which side? How do I know that? Mark tells us. The the angel who was seated spoke. He asked them why they were searching for Jesus in a tomb. He seemed surprised that the women thought Jesus would still be dead on Sunday morning. He told them not to be afraid and said that that he knew they were looking for Jesus who had been crucified. Then he announced that Jesus was not there because he had risen from the dead just as he said he would do. The angel even invited them to step over to the stone ledge where the body would have been placed and to see for themselves. Realizing he was dealing with human weakness, he reminded them of certain truths Jesus had taught them while he was with them in Galilee. He would suffer at the hands of sinful men, be crucified, and rise again, and it always says, on the third day. After the angel uh, said those things, they did recall Jesus' words. And finally, he commanded them to tell the other disciples, especially Peter. He mentions Peter. That Jesus would meet them in Galilee and there there he would allow them to see him. Joyful and frightened at the same time, the women ran to report to the disciples what they had seen and heard. So Mary's gone first. Uh, She's already probably gotten there somewhere or 
though it's a, it's a bit, you've got to go through the whole city. If they're living where I think they are on the, on the poor part of, of, of the lower city, you've got to go through all of Jerusalem to get there. They, they've gone, she's gone first, now they come along and they're on their way. And on their way back to the city, the resurrected Jesus met them. He greeted them by saying, rejoice. They responded by taking hold of his feet and bowing before him. He then repeated the same instructions the angel uh, had given them, that they were to tell his brothers, the disciples, that they could now return to, to Galilee. The reason I said they could return is he actually, it's actually in what's called the subjunctive. They may return. He didn't command them to do it, but if you, he said, you may now go back to Galilee, that he would meet them there and allow them to see him. Mark's gospel says the women were so frightened they said nothing to anyone. But Mark must mean that by that statement they did not announce these encounters publicly or they may have delayed their announcement, I'm not sure, because Luke says they reported what had happened to the apostles who refused to believe them. And that it was after their report, including Mary Magdalene's, Mary had gotten there first, she reported, and then I think she left. I don't know if she went and said, I'm going to go tell his mother. Uh, I, I, whatever it is, he, she, she went and, and was not apparently there when they arrived. But that Peter and John ran back to the tomb to see the situation for themselves. John outran Peter and arrived at the tomb first, but he did not enter. Let me, let me say something to that. Haven't we often wondered that if Peter's uh, overweight, you know, or, or older, maybe he's a, he, he wasn't old. He was a, he was a young fisherman. Uh, so he, he's not an old man. And I'm sure he's not overweight either. I mean, it's not like that. Well, then why can't he keep up with John? He's certainly got the pizzazz to want to race. I mean, if, you know, I'll tell you what I think happened. Uh, what was, where, where did we leave Peter? Having denied the Lord three times and going out and sobbing his heart out bitterly. I don't think he's eaten since Thursday. I think he's fasting. I think he's mourning. I think he's had a horrible uh, several days. That's even why Jesus says, tell Peter. He's dying inside. Remember how Paul responded when he saw the Lord on the road to Damascus? He went into Damascus and he did not eat or drink for three days. He just sat in a room and in, in the dark, blind as he could be, in, in just agony, just suffering. I think that's what's happened to Peter. I think he's just, he doesn't have the strength. And John, John says, you, ca- you come as you can, I'll, I'll get there. From there, as he, he, John comes to the doorway, and he, he's, he's, I don't know if you call it timid, but he's intimidated. He, he, he leans forward and glanced inside. And from there, in the dim light of the morning, he saw, all he saw were the linen strips which had been wrapped around Jesus' body. At that point, he may not have realized that the wrappings were empty. I'll tell you why. When Peter came, he didn't hesitate as John had, but walked directly into the tomb Once he drew close enough to really examine the linen wrappings, which were still lying on the stone shelf, what he saw shocked him. The wrappings were intact. That is the way it reads. But the body had disappeared. If someone had stolen the body, they would have picked it up and carried it out, wouldn't you? You And I'll tell you why you certainly would have. So the wrappings would be gone. Peter also noted that the cloth which had been bound around Jesus' face and head had been rolled up or folded carefully and put in a place away from the rest of the wrappings. My first conclusion was Jesus is just tidy. You know, he takes this thing off and then folds it and puts it aside. 
someone else pointed out that uh, in, you know, in, in a Jewish dinner, uh, the, the, head of the head of the meal will fold the napkin and place it there, and then it allows everyone else. So it, it may have a lot more meaning than I saw to it. They come in, and, and what, the, what the language says, in fact, Luke says it specifically, they saw the wrappings only. And, he see, and he keeps, John keeps saying they saw the wrappings, not, not lying there, like they saw the wrappings where they've been put, where they had been carefully placed, still where they were placed. They're empty. How do you get out of them? Now, now watch, watch what I'm going to tell you next. Here's what the great uh, early church father, John Chrysostom, uh, 347 to 407, wrote about this passage. For neither, if any persons had removed the body, would they, before doing so, have stripped it, nor, if they had stolen it, would they have taken the trouble to remove the napkin, roll it up, and place it in a, lay it in a place by itself. So John says, if they're going to steal the body, they go in and pick it up. Nobody's going to unpack this thing. But, but how, he asks. They would, have taken the, they would have taken the body as it was. On this account, this is still John Christosom talking. Look at this, it's fascinating. On this account, John tells us by anticipation that it was, that was, that it was buried with much myrrh. Remember how John told us that? How much myrrh was it? 75 to 100 pounds, depending on how you take the numbers. I, I, I think probably, I, I had said 100. Um, that he had taken, they, those two men took myrrh and aloes. Remember this? All right, well, aloes, think aloe vera. It's, it's, it's that, the, 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 the succulent. That's what I think they have, because they've got it all through there. Uh, so I think you've got that mixed with myrrh. Now look what he tells us. On this account, John tells us by anticipation. He's saying John put that into the text so you would understand what he saw. That it was buried with much myrrh, which glues linen to the body not less firmly than lead. I just thought it smelled good. This is the way they take, this is the process. So they literally cast the body. You know, if we have broken bones, we have the plaster casts. All right, they wrap the thing, and they wrap it with the myrrh and the aloes, and those things combine and, and, and harden. So the body, so you can imagine poor Lazarus when he's coming out, you know. <laughs> he, he looks like the, the, the monster from the gloomy deep, you know. He, he's coming out because he's still in there. But what we just been told is they come, and those things are still right exactly where they've been put. It says that over and over. They're right where they put. Nobody's home. They're empty. Now that has got... So I, what did Peter say when he's in there going, was it oive? Was it, was it oh, Lord my God? I mean, he said something. And so John goes, what? You know, and then he comes. In that case, they only saw the wrappings there, but what contained nobody. In that case, the only way Jesus' body could have escaped from those wrappings is by rising up through them as if they weren't there. Since on the evening of that same day, the resurrected Jesus would pass through locked doors to join a gathering of his disciples, that possibility seems to be the best explanation. He'll go right through it. Verses 8 and 9. Peter must have said something because John joined him inside the tomb. And then John saw the same thing. Peter saw. And he tells us that because of what he saw, he believed. 
But he quickly adds an explanation about himself that tells us that neither he nor Peter really understood the spiritual significance of what they were seeing. They realized that some sort of miracle had taken place. But they were still confused. Maybe they thought Jesus' body had been taken up to heaven like Elijah went up in a whirlwind. Because John says they did not yet know the scriptures that he must rise again from the dead. In other words, they did not yet understand that Jesus was not only alive spiritually, but that he had broken the grip of death and was now alive physically in an immortal body. At that moment, neither John nor Peter knew why that would be important. Because they didn't understand what the Bible teaches about Jesus that, about how his resurrection is connected to the salvation and future resurrection of all believers. And even the resurrection of unbelievers. Did you know that? <coughs> Thankfully, later that same day, the resurrected Jesus would begin to teach those very truths. And let me, I'm, now I'm going to finish the whole quote that was there in Luke. And he... Jesus said to them, that's to these two disciples on the Emmaus Road. That was just that same day of, of the same Sunday, a little, or probably early afternoon. O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe upon all things which the prophets spoke. Was it not necessary that the Messiah suffer these things and to enter into his glory? And beginning from Moses, meaning clear back to the book of Genesis, and from all the prophets, how many of the prophets? All of them. He thoroughly, that's the word, thoroughly explained to them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Wouldn't you give anything to be with them and listen to that conversation? I will tell you, I think I know the sort of things he taught because I think that's what we find in the New Testament. When you read the book of Acts, when you see the verses they quote, when you think, he taught them that. He taught them that. We learn from this same passage in Luke that the Lord privately appeared to Peter earlier that same day. At that meeting, he may well have assured Peter of his love for him in order to release Peter from the shame he felt after denying him three times. But John, Jesus would address that matter quite thoroughly at a future breakfast on a beach beside the Sea of Galilee. Do you recall what I'm saying? Very, in, a, in another chapter, next chapter, John's going to tell us about meeting the disciples up in Galilee, as he said he would. Uh, and at one of those meetings, they, he's there on the shore, serves them breakfast, and has a conversation with Peter about his denials. Do you recall? He asks him to reaffirm his love for him three times. Once for each denial, he heals him. He works through. I don't think that's what he talked about uh, in that conversation particularly. Of far greater importance would be Peter's ignorance about the meaning of the resurrection. And we know that at some point, Jesus gave him a very profound understanding of it. Listen to what he wrote 30 years later. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who according to his great mercy has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the what? Look at that. He didn't say the cross even there. Through the resurrection of Jesus Christ. He gets it now. This is central. To obtain an inheritance which is imperishable and undefiled and will not fade away. Reserved in heaven for you who are protected through the power of God. Through faith for a salvation ready to be revealed. In the last time he says every, your future as children of God. Your resurrection. Your inheritance. Everything that's in front of you came through the resurrection. Jesus, Jesus resurrected. He's now at central to him. 
Might that have been the moment when Peter asked Jesus where his spirit went while his body lay in the grave? I talked about this. Where was Jesus during those hours uh, in which he, his body lay in the grave? Some of the teaching has been he went to hell and he suffered in hell for us. That is not true. There is no such reference. It is in the, it is, there is a statement in the, in the Apostles' Creed. He descended into hell. Uh, and actually he did that part. But it, he didn't suffer there. We descended not to, okay, back up. Hell doesn't exist yet. He, the word is Hades. It's the same word in the Hebrew as Sheol. It's the place of the dead. So he did not go to hell. It isn't there yet. Uh, he, he went to wherever the, 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 actually Satan and his demonic hosts are, and he announced his victory. And how do we know that? Peter tells us that. And how do you know? I think he asked. And I think that was the conversation. Look what Peter says. Let's hear it again. For Christ also died for sins once for all, the just for the unjust. What a great quote. So that he might bring us to God, having been put to death in the flesh, but made alive in the spirit, in which he also went and made proclamation to the spirits now in prison. There it is. See it? That's what we know. That is the principal statement in the Bible that will tell us what happened to him. Verse 10. One of the clearest evidences of both Peter and John's lack of understanding is what they did next. They went home, which most likely was a house John's family owned in Jerusalem. And since John was now caring for Jesus' mother, was he? Yeah, so Mary's there at John's home. As well as his own, that's Salome. The two men undoubtedly shared with Mary and Salome what they had seen. G. Campbell Morgan makes an interesting observation right here that I'd never thought of. He says, uh, he says where did Peter go after the denial? We, we see him going out weeping bitterly, grieving over what he's done. What did he do? Just wander the hillsides? Where did he go? He says, this is, this is the first indication that tells us where he went. John took him into his home. Isn't that sweet? So John just takes this, this, this Peter who's just a mess and says, come home with me. And he takes him home. And so in that house, we've got at least Mary, the Lord's mother, Salome. And we've got John, maybe James, he's his brother. And, and we've got Peter. Peter in his agony. Peter in his suffering still. Scriptural eyes. John explains to us that he and Peter did not understand the empty tomb because they did not understand the scripture. Their ignorance had nothing to do with a lack of intelligence. One only needs to read their writings to recognize that both Peter and John were brilliant men in their own rights. You know, you do not ever go there on this business of these are a bunch of dumb fishermen. John, the Gospel of John, which John wrote, is, is by many people's estimation the most profound book in the world. I would agree with them, would you? There's nothing like it. Don't, don't call that author <laughs> dumb. He ain't dumb. Why, why can't he understand then? What's his problem? Peter. I've been translating Peter at home in my devotions. I'm stuck on one verse that I can't, I, I, I'm just waiting for a day to translate it. It's so tough. Silas, Silvanus wrote it for Peter. But man, it's profound stuff. Don't call Peter stupid. He ain't stupid. He's smarter than most of us in the room 
certainly myself. We're talking to very, very deep men, very, very profound men, but they don't see it at all. Why not? And the women who stood by the cross as Jesus was dying and went out to the tomb on Sunday morning to honor his dead body showed by their actions a level of integrity and personal courage few of us would dare to claim for ourselves. Would you agree? Would you have given everything? You're in, pu- in total public, you're done. You're toast. You're out of the synagogue, everything. Those women stood there and they just stood by their Lord. They loved him to the end. So what they all lacked was revelation, not intellect. John says the root of their problem was that God had not yet revealed to them the meaning of key scriptures. Once their spiritual eyes were open to the word, their physical eyes would understand the miracle that was right in front of them. There's a very important connection here. I can't see what God's doing until I've had the, the word of God revealed to me. Do you see how central the Bible is to us? You can't say, oh, I don't read much. I don't like to read. Well, get over it. And, and if you can't read, have someone read it to you or get, the, get, a, get a tape, listen to it. Memorize it. It is foundational. What he says is, until the Lord has opened my eyes to see the truths of God here, I don't spot them here. I don't even know what I'm looking at. But when he's shown me what he does and what, it, what his heart is here in the word, I now can look at and, and see the miracles and hand of God around me. Do you follow that? It's absolutely foundational. If my spiritual eyes are going to open, they start by opening in the word of God. That's why we have, we have I mean, we're really seeing this, how, how, how vital the word is. That it, 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 this is not a, it's not just a nicety. It is foundational. We have Awana. We have over 200 children every, every week are in there. What are they doing in Awana? Memorizing scripture, yeah. They say the average child will have 100 scriptures when they're done. We had a, a contest winner the other uh, two years ago. She had memorized over 1,000. Anyone in here got, you know, want to give her a race for their, her money? I mean, think of that young woman. Think of that young woman having that kind of, not just memorizing, her eyes are open. When she looks at life, She's got the mind of Christ. She knows how God thinks. She knows what God does. She knows his ways. It's in her heart. Isn't that precious? Hallelujah. We have, we have OSL. Why do I want you to take OSL? If you aren't having a time where you're in the word every day, if you aren't building that into your life, I can, we can all pray for you till we're just weary. And you'll just, all you'll do is go up and down and up and down and up and down and up and down. If you have no self-care, where you build a word and you, get your, you build your own faith. Where you, where you learn to deal with your own demons. I mean, I, I can't cast out all your demons. You've got to cast them out. When those voices come and haunt you, you tell them to shut up. I mean, I, I can't, we, we can't be around to do all that for you. You understand? You learn to stand in your own. And so OSL lays you, tells you how to, how to meditate in the word, how to get into the word, how to pray. How to, it just builds those disciplines into your life so that you and I have open spiritual eyes. It's, it's vital. Their example provides an important lesson for you and me. We need to do whatever it takes for God to begin revealing his scripture to us. You do it the way it works for you, but find a way. It's not enough to simply read the Bible. 
We must find a way for God to teach us the spiritual meaning of what we're reading. That is honestly why I progress so slowly through the scripture, trying to, get, trying to let him show us the true meaning of it. So we don't just breeze on and quote scriptures glibly. But we begin to see them in context. We begin to understand and think this way. Why? It opens us to see what God is doing today all around us. Based on what we've learned today, until that starts to happen, we won't be able to see the things God is doing right in front of us. You might say we need to ask him to give us scriptural eyes. Why don't you say, Lord, give me scriptural eyes. What they didn't understand. On numerous occasions, Jesus rehearsed the key truths his disciples needed to understand. And I give you a whole list of them. But for some reason, those truths were hidden. Luke uses that phrase. These were, were hidden from them. Either by God because he chose to reveal them only after Jesus rose. Or by the religious teachings of their childhood. I think their problem was that their early religious training had closed their minds to Jesus' words. Because on the road to Emmaus, when two disciples didn't understand the resurrection, Jesus didn't say, well, that's okay, it was hidden from you by God. He said, O foolish ones and slow of heart to believe upon all the things which the prophets spoke. Obviously, he was disappointed by their response. He had hoped for more. Let me explain this. We have lost a, a profound understanding. And that is that God actually prepares humans to learn about him in their young years. Now, it doesn't mean you can't, as an old person, learn about him. But he designed us to learn about him when we're young. What we have is soft hearts. Faith comes easily. Children ask about the Lord. It's just in them. L listen to this. Uh, Gary and Paula Hayes, uh, who, have, who, who have gone and now have, have last I read, they le have led 120,000 children uh, to the Lord. Uh, and uh, like 100,000 of those have gone through a one-year discipleship program. They're all in Southeast Asia. They're now, in, they're now in the Congo. Whether you knew it or not, you were their covering church and sponsor for, for a long time. And uh, they're wonderful. But when they were here last time, I, and I, I've never forgotten what they taught, they, be, they went through this list. Now listen to this. Age five in a person's life, greatest time of learning. That's when the human mind is learning the most at age five. Age six, Moral values set for life. What does that say? Age eight. Worldview made for life. There's a God. There's a heaven. There's a, all of that stuff gets set in the child or there's not. Age 12. Celebrate entering adulthood. Age 13. Religion decided for life. That doesn't mean it can't change through crises or whatever else. Thank heavens it does. Uh, but... What we do with, with most adults is a, is a repair job. You're trying to fix the damage that was done here. And what we're learning is, let's care for them here. Let's get the word in them. Let's teach them to walk with God. Let's get them baptized in the spirit. Let's get them, let's get them to move in the things of God here. They'll have, to do, they'll have their, their challenges as they go through adulthood. But they'll go through it with, with a different attitude, different mind, different, different set of things. So why do I think these people can't understand? They were taught 
in their childhood years, that when Messiah comes, he comes in glory and he's going to set up his kingdom and you know, all the nations of the, you destroy our enemies and he's going to gather Israel and he's going to prosper the land. Yes. And Jesus says, well, first, I'm going to die. In fact, I'm going to suffer. And then I'm going to die. And then I'm going to be buried for three days. It does not fit their, their, their understanding, their worldview at all. Have you, have you ever had somebody give you an answer you didn't expect and you, you went, what? Like you didn't hear. When people give you, a, and just, in fact, I've toyed with people at times, I admit. Not you. <laughs> but sometimes I've just, I've tested this. Where somebody will ask me a question and I'll give an answer that is not the one they expect me to say. And almost always, in fact, I don't know I've ever seen an exception. They'll go, what? Because they think they didn't hear me. Because they had expected a certain thing. Our minds expect to see or expect certain things to happen. And when something doesn't fit that, that understanding, we don't really hear it. It confuses us. We don't get it. And I think it's happened to them. All right. What didn't they understand? They didn't understand, number one, that he must suffer. They would have if they'd understood that someone must rescue them from the curse of the law. I told you this the other day. Do you remember? Why did he have to die so savagely? Why couldn't Jesus have just drunk the hemlock like Socrates and gone to sleep? Why did it have to be, he's just, he's speared and he's crucified and he's scourged. I mean, why did it have to be horrible? It did have to be horrible. Do you know why? He became a curse for us. And remember the curse. This is the curse of the law. Remember when, when, when Abraham uh, f f made that first foundational uh, covenant with God? He had him split the animals in half and lay them either side. And all that blood and goo drained into a middle. And then, and then what should have happened is Abraham would have walked through that and get blood all over his feet. But he didn't. What, is it, what, what did you say when you went through those parts those, of that savaged animals? So be it to me if I should break my covenant. Only Abraham lay on the ground, slain in the spirit, lifting his head, watching God, and God in his glory walked through the parts. Meaning, so be it to me if you should break my covenant. Jesus had to be savaged. He took the curse of the law upon himself. Number two, he must die. They would have understood that if... That if they had understood that they were under the penalty of death, which is the penalty of sin, which is death. And they desperately needed someone to take their place. If you don't understand how sinful you are, you don't understand why he had to die. If you feel self-righteous, if you feel by going to church enough or, or, or worshiping on a certain day or eating certain things or wearing certain clothes or, or doing whatever it is you're going to do, if you think that's enough, that you can do that enough and God's really happy with you, the cross makes no sense. Right. You think, why would he die? He doesn't need to. I'm pretty good. I'm all right. But if you realize, no, I, I'm a sinner and that I should die. Then you can see it. And then you go, thank you. Oh, thank you, Father, for loving me enough to send your son to take my place. See it? Number three, he must, they did not understand that he must be buried until the third day. Now, I'm not going to explain this thoroughly. I, I have before, and I might again this, this year. We'll see. 
He must be buried uh, until the third day. Say third day. They would have understood that had they understood that he died as their Passover lamb, which is on the 14th of Nisan. And so, and he must rise as the first fruits of the barley harvest, which is on the 16th of Nisan. For, uh, he died on Passover and he rose on the first day of the, on the, on the feast of first fruits in which the high priest cuts the barley. And the harvest begins. Jesus rose and God began his harvest. Isn't that beautiful? Jesus assumed we should get that. <laughs> he did. He said, why don't you see that? Third day. You know? for, number four, he must conquer death. They didn't understand that. They would, ha- they would have if they'd understood that he, he must not only remove our sin, but break the power of death. So that we can be raised into glorious immortal bodies as children of God. He had to die not only for your spirit, your choices, and your, and your rebellion. He had to die for the very vehicle that has carried out your wickedness. Do you understand? This body of mine has done and said and thought all kinds of garbage. It's under condemnation. He died for my flesh, my body, as well as my spirit. So my body gets raised into glorious state. And is redeemed right along with my spirit. So is yours. Somebody say thank you Jesus. Jesus. Yeah he had to do that. That's the resurrection has everything to do with that. He broke the power of death over us. Number five. He must take on human flesh and die. So that the promise of the father. Say promise of the father. Can be fulfilled. They would have if they had understood that God cannot take his. Place his Holy Spirit inside us. Until our sinful flesh has been redeemed. God said, he he kept promising. The promise of the father was, the day will come when I will put my spirit inside you. He wasn't ever inside a person before that. But when Jesus died for us, he cleansed our bodies. Paul says this in in, in Romans 8. He He said, what the law could not do, weak as it was through the flesh, God did. Sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and as an offering for sin he condemned sin and then he says in the flesh Jesus died for the sin your body did his his body took your body's place why now it's redeemed and now God can take his pure lovely holy spirit and put him right inside of you and you become a living temple of God isn't that beautiful that's the baptism of the spirit that's the promise of the father number six He must be proclaimed to all the nations. They would have understood that if they had understood that Jesus died and rose for all the world. In you, all the families of the earth shall be blessed, God said to Abraham. And Jesus fulfilled that. The essential resurrection. How essential is the resurrection to the gospel of salvation? Here's what Paul says. For I delivered to you as a First importance. Do you see those words? First importance. This, Paul says this is the most important thing I taught you. When he talks to the, to the to Corinthian church. What I also received. That Christ died for our sins. According to the scriptures. Say according to the scriptures. See this. It always comes back to the Bible. And that he was buried. There it is. And that he was raised. And okay. On the third day. Paul sees it. According to the scriptures. Say according to the scriptures. And then he went on to say. If 
Christ has not been raised. Your faith is worthless. You are still in your sins. There is no forgiveness. Number two, then those who also have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. How many have a loved one in Christ who's died and you long to see them again? He says, if Jesus wasn't raised, you won't. They're gone. They're just rotting in a grave or they're sitting in a vase on a mantle. There's nothing left if Christ be not raised. How important is the resurrection? It's vital. It is absolutely vital to us. And number three, if we have hoped in Christ in this life only, we are of all men most to be pitied. In other words, all the personal sacrifices we've made to follow Jesus are meaningless. We would have been wiser to live for pleasure. So, not only is it essential that we understand the resurrection of Jesus Christ, we must truly believe it. It's as important as believing in the cross. Why else would Paul summarize salvation this way? Why don't you read it with me? If you confess with your mouth Jesus as Lord and believe in your heart, that God has raised him from the dead, you will be saved. Look at that. If you, we've got the, he puts the resurrection right there. Conclusion. No wonder John sadly looked back on himself and Peter, staring at those empty linen wrappings in confusion and remarked, for as yet they did not understand the scripture that he must rise from the dead. Do we? If we don't. John has shown us that the place to start is to go back to the word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to reveal to our hearts the truth. When that happens, the empty tomb will make us want to shout for joy. Thanks for listening. If you like this podcast, please click the like button, subscribe, and share it with a friend. For more information, just head to our website, lifelessonspublishing.com. That's lifelessonspublishing.com. There you'll be able to order many of the books Pastor Steve has written.